Let's thank John Stanley, our global outreach pastor, on the bike. So what a, what a great week, right? Rangers win the World Series. Um, on my birthday. That was amazing. That was very nice of them. And then, uh, you know, we got Freebird on a pink guitar. And, uh, motorcycle, all that. And you showed up at church, and we all did together. And that's great. I'm so glad that you were here in this series called Joy Ride on the book of Philippians because the book of Philippians talks more about joy than any other book in the Bible. And we're told how to choose joy. We'll see that today because Jesus said that he came in part to help us. He wanted to share his joy to the point that we would overflow with it. They would be the most joyful people on the planet. And the Christian life is designed to be a joy ride, which is why, uh, we, you know, we think about the bike and all that. And I'm not a, I'm not a biker. Um, the only time I rode a motorcycle was I, I crashed and, uh, and got all scarred up and all this kind of stuff, gravel and all, you know, it's not good. So I, it's not my thing, but I can see, I, I can see how it would be pretty awesome, right? Just to be out there on the open road, just letting it go would be really, that would be a joyride. Like that would be really cool. Um, now I don't, I, what I, what I can relate to, I love to ski, snow ski. And when I am, you know, flying down a slope, 40, 50 miles an hour, it's pretty cool, right? It feels like you're flying. And to me, I can relate to that kind of joyride. And whether we think about it this way or not, the Christian life is designed to be like that. Like this joy ride through life. Now, I know that some of you are like, okay, yeah. And a lot of you are kind of rolling your eyes. You know, if you're not doing it visibly, you're doing it in your head or, you know, just yourself. Because you're thinking, yeah, right. I mean, okay, some pastors up here saying the most joyful things in Christian life and church and all this kind of stuff. is like, dude, get a life. Like, you know, because church and religion and Christianity, all that is kind of where joy and enjoyment and fun go to die. A slow, painful death. Right. And and that may be your experience with whatever version of Christianity or other religion uh, that you grew up with. And, and I can understand that. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago who's not a Christian, but grew up in a very fundamental Christian home. And when he was 18, he left home and never looked back at any of that. And he's never been to a church like Chase Oaks, has no idea that this kind of thing exists. And he doesn't, he doesn't live in this state. But we were eating dinner and, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm curious. We were talking about, he was interested in my book and we were talking. And he said, you know, how, what do you, how much Christian influence do you think there is in the founding of America? I know Christians talk about it a lot, but I'm not sure how much, because like, for example, he said, you know, Thomas Jefferson, the pursuit of happiness. He said that was obviously Greek and Roman thought, not Bible. And I was like, no, that's not obvious. I mean, I don't know what influenced him, but I do know that that thought of every person having dignity um, made an image of God and every person God wanting to therefore flourish in life. You could call that pursuit of happiness, happiness at a deep level, not just you know, joy, I mean, not just you, but, you know, deeper than that, even real flourishing happiness. And that's a very biblical idea. In fact, that's the whole story of the Bible is that God intervened in this dark, broken world 
Um, and he's redeeming it. He wants to make it right again and restore the ability for human beings to live in flourishing lives. And I, I talked about the same passage I alluded to earlier in John 15, where Jesus said, I've come to share my joy and that you would overflow with it. Like he, like, I don't know how Tom, where Thomas Jefferson got it, but I can tell you that it's a deeply, deeply biblical thing. It's at the core of the biblical story. And he looked shocked. Like he was like, he wouldn't, he didn't believe me. Like he was like, I, wow, I don't, I just would never connect Christianity and happiness. I would never connect Christianity and joy because of his background. Um, I remember the first time I encountered kind of joyless religion, kind of legalistic, weighed down religion. Um, I was in high school, actually going into high school, going into ninth grade. And I, I just never been around that kind of Christianity. Uh, and this was, you know, there's lots of different kinds of that kind of legalistic Christianity, but this one was one, well, they would never play free bird in church. Let's put it that way. And I mean, they would never listen to that. And with, you know, nobody who really loves Jesus would. And, and it was one of those churches that, you know, all these things that you weren't supposed to do was the real big deal. And no good Christian would ever do this, this and this. I mean, it was to the point of like, you know, girls skirts would be below the knee and guys, you know, just. Uh, you would never go to see movies or whatever, right? So it was one of those kind. And I just never been exposed to that. I didn't know that existed. So I go to this five day long training uh, for a summer program I was going to do, where you teach children in backyard uh, backyards and all that, which was a great summer. But I went to this training, and it was dominated. It was led in that state by that kind of Christ, that those kind of Christians. And so I. I meet the state director of this organization and before he, I mean, I've never met him before he says anything like, hi, how are you doing? What's your name? He looked at me and he said, you are a poor example for the kids we will try to minister to. <laughs> okay. I mean, he didn't know me and I'm like, I, I was trying to figure out what he, what, I mean, what I, what he found out or something. And then he said, you have a choice to make. Either you go get a haircut right now. And come back or just go home and don't come back because your hair is you know, almost touching your shoulders. And that is not the kind of example of a Jesus follower or of Jesus that we want for kids that we're reaching. And I laughed because I thought he was kidding. I thought I just never been exposed to it. I thought the local director that I knew really well had just like put him up to it. I was being punked. You know, so, ah, <laughs> you know, whatever. And that didn't help my cause any, you know, just looking more stern. And I'm glad I didn't say it in my head. I don't think I was bold enough to say it anyway. In my head, I was thinking, have you ever seen pictures of Jesus? Like, you know, but, or like paintings, you know. So, but anyway, I didn't say that. But I did say, well, I will let you know. I didn't say I would do it. I just said, I'll let you know. And he said, well, you've got a couple hours to let me know. And I said, okay, I'll let you know. And I was planning to go home. And the local director you know, said, hey, you talked me into getting my hair cut and, you know, playing along and, you know, doing that. And I did. And I'm glad I did. And I, it was, a, you know, did the summer thing. But that kind of religion, that kind of Christianity, any of us can slip into. It's Christians. We, we talk about it's legalism and legalism is about what we do, like law, you know, to do all these things, the do's and don'ts to keep us in God's favor and to earn what, you know, earn God's. Uh, pleasure and his blessing and all of that. And that, it's just essentially religion. That's what all religion is. 
Uh, religion is just what we do to either appease God or earn our salvation. Or if you don't believe in a personal God, uh, religion is what we do to attain some kind of spiritual status or state. And what I want us to understand today, and this, this most important thing to understand about Christianity, is that that's not Christianity. And that what Jesus came to do is not bring more religious demands or even bring another religion. He came to save us from religion. He came to free us from all that. And that's why the good news of great joy we talk about at Christmas really is good news of great joy. It's not just more demands. Now, Jesus said this uh, when he was here on this planet to the religious leaders of his day. He said, you crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Jesus did not come to bring burdens and religious demands. He came to free us from that. So that we can live joyfully in him. Listen to what Jesus said. This is his invitation. Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Weary and burdened in life. Weary and burdened because of sin. Weary and burdened because of religion and all of its demands. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest. For your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's inviting us to come as we are and to walk with him in a new life and walk in obedience to a much better way and all of that. But notice, it's not religious demands, it's rest. And today we're going to understand why that is. Because that is what we call the gospel. What the Bible calls the gospel. Gospel is just a word that means good news. And the good news of the gospel is that relationship with God is not about my effort. It's about his effort on my behalf. It's, it's that Christianity is, is all about grace, not about my effort, not about my works to try to be good enough for God, because I can't be. It's how Jesus came and met all of God's demands on my behalf, and everything there is to get, he gives freely. And he's already given it. The Bible says that for those who believe in Jesus, that we have everything there is. That pertains to life and godliness. He just gives it to us all at once. And therefore we can live in the enjoyment of it. Not living in the burden to try to gain what we already have. Another way to say that is Christianity is not spelled D-O. Not about what we do. But it's spelled D-O-N-E. It's based on what Jesus has already done on our behalf. And what I'm saying right now I know is abstract. And... It is, I think, the hardest thing to understand about Christianity, but is the essence of Christianity. It's actually what Christianity is. It's what makes it unique. It is what, what the Bible calls the gospel. And anything you add to that is not Christianity anymore. It's not the gospel. It's just another religion. And so for those of you who are kicking the tires of Christianity and trying to figure this out, today's a really important day to understand this is what it is and this is what it's not. Because it's not another religion. Not, it's not another religion. It's a relationship with God based on his grace, which changes everything and frees us up to live joyfully and freely and confidently and not burdened and all of that. And so today we're going to see that from in Philippians as Paul is writing the church. And what's happened there is what happens so naturally with any of us is we, we maybe we begin realizing that Christianity is about God's grace 
and we become, maybe we begin a relationship with God, but then we act like it's all up to us and we, it's exhausting and we lose joy and all of that. And, and that's just the most natural thing to do. And 2000 years ago, that's what was happening in the Philippian church. And so Paul is going to address it. And what happened 2000 years ago is that these believers, these Christians from Jerusalem who were Jewish Christians and they had the Old Testament law in their background, um, they still believe that, okay, Jesus is great, but you also still have to keep parts of the Old Testament law if you're going to keep God happy. And so they, it, was, it was Jesus plus the Old Testament law. Jesus plus religion and the religious demands. And so they come into Philippi, which was not a Jewish area. It was a Gentile area. And Paul had started the church. They were doing great. But then these people came in and they were so impressive. They knew the Bible. They were really serious about their faith. They were radical believers. Like they were like so impressive. And it made sense to them. Like it wouldn't be just Jesus, right? It'd be Jesus plus. Here's all the stuff you got to do. And that just kind of makes sense. And so they were falling for it. And one of the reasons Paul writes the letter of Philippians, he's in prison, 800 miles away. He hears about it. He freaks out. And and you'll hear how strong he is saying, no, that is not Christianity. That turns Christianity on its head. Don't fall for it. Don't listen to these people. Don't fall into religion. Instead, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 3.1. He says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now, over and over again in the book of Philippians, we're told to rejoice, which means choose joy, be joyful, no matter what. We've looked at that in different ways. This time he adds a little phrase in the Lord. That's the source of joy. It's to rejoice in the Lord, not in religion, because you're not going to find joy in religion, but to rejoice in the Lord and in our connection with him and all that he has for us. And then he gets to. The warning. Watch out for those dogs. Now he's talking about these Jewish Christians that have come. They were so impressive. Watch out for those dogs. Those evildoers. Those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision. We who serve God by his spirit. Who boast in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Our works. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. So let's stop just a second. So he's talking about these Jewish Christians that were so, um, you know, these legalistic people who were so impressive and who did you know, certain, they did all the do's and don'ts. They were doing everything just great and all. And he's not impressed with them at all. I mean, he says he calls them evildoers. And they would, I mean, they'd be like, these aren't evil. Like they're, they're better. Like they're great. Like they're so good. No, no, they're evildoers because they're messing up the gospel. They're Turning Christian, they're, they're making all that Jesus did worthless. They're evildoers. They're mutilators of the flesh because one of the things they taught in keeping the Old Testament law is that these Gentile people would have to be circumcised. Which if you're a Gentile guy as an adult and you hear about that, that's kind of a hurdle. And, uh, and, if, and if you don't know what circumcision is, just don't Google it now. Um, maybe don't even Google it at all. Just uh, ask somebody about it. But, um, but right, that would not be a good that wouldn't be a good thing, right? Imagine inviting your husband to church. You know, hey, it's great. You know, music's great. You know, they motorcycle stuff. But there is this one thing, you know, right? A bit, and so anyway, I shouldn't go off. But he's like, all they're doing is mutilating the flesh. 
There's no spiritual value in that like they think there is. It's just they're mutilators of the flesh. They're evil to, and they're dogs, which was not a compliment. I mean, in our world, right, we love dogs, right? At least I do. Maybe you do, too. If you're a dog person, we have pets. In fact, the other day I was uh, looking, searching for something on my OneDrive and this came up. This was years ago. I think Chewy, our little dog, was just one years old and we and he got lost. Our yard people had uh, let him out of the back gate and he was lost for hours and hours. And it, you know, it was so terrible. When we, and, and, and he came in and he was just so pit. We finally, he, he came in on his own around midnight and uh, the little pads on his feet were worn off. I mean, it was just, but um, so he's just like, it's our dog, right? We love our little dog. But 2000 years ago, there was no little dog love like that. Um, now, if you were super wealthy and royalty, maybe, but for everybody else, they, dogs were not pets. And there were wild dogs who would, you know, roam around and they were dirty and they were dangerous. And Paul's saying, these people that you're so impressed with are dogs. Dirty and dangerous. They're evildoers. And all they're doing is just mutilators of the flesh. And he said, I know they're impressive. So he said, if we want to play the impressive game based on religion... And doing everything right in the Old Testament law, sense of everything right, then let's play that game. He's like, Gentiles, I've never even talked to you about my life before Jesus and who I really was probably, but I'm just, here it is. Because Paul, before he came to know Jesus, was a well-known Pharisee, a well-known leader. He was like the best of the best in terms of Old Testament law. And so he goes into that. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, meaning being trying to be good enough for God, I have more. They're like, let's play that game. Um, circumcised on the eighth day. Literally, I love the way it's worded in Greek. It's, he said, literally, he said, I'm, I was an eight-dayer. Eight-dayer. Because in the law, you were to circumcise male babies on the eighth day. So he's saying, from day eight, I did it right. An eight dayer. And then he goes on of the people of Israel, because that's important, right? God's people in the Old Testament. So I legitimately have the people of Israel. Not only that, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was an impressive tribe uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, for one, it was the only tribe that stayed loyal to David after Solomon, but there were other reasons too. Um, and, and so that was a good one. Like there were 12 tribes, and if you were a tribe of Benjamin, you, you would brag about it if you were you know, in that culture. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Picture like super Hebrews. You know, like nobody was, nobody was a better Hebrew than Paul. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees are only 6,000 Pharisees. And they spent all day being good. And making sure that others were good. And that's all they did. And Paul was like, I was one of those. And I wasn't just a Pharisee, I was a really good one. He said, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Did everything right. Everything, just all of it. As for zeal, persecuting the church. And everybody knew that in the Jerusalem Christian world, in that Judea. They knew about Paul because he was not only a well-known Pharisee, but he's the one that started the first persecution against Christians. Because before he was a Christian, he felt like this Jesus stuff was dangerous. He wanted it stamped out. And so he has people killed and imprisoned and all that. And on the way to kill and imprison some more people is when Jesus appears to him. He becomes a Christian. But nobody could question his pedigree. Like if there were trading cards for Jewish religious heroes, 
everybody would want his card. Like that would be the one you'd want. So he's like, hey, if we're going to play that game, I don't think anybody's going to beat him. And then we have this little word, but. Now I've, this little word, B-U-T, but, is the most important word in the whole passage. And I've talked before how one day I do want to do a series called The Big Butts of the Bible. About B-U-T-S, or I like big butts and I cannot lie. I don't know what we'll call it. Maybe not that. But, um, but this is one of the bigger butts in the Bible. But, so all this stuff, I hear, all this stuff I had going for me, I was, nobody was better than me. But, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Which is interesting. Because he says all these acts of religious devotion... Is not only neutral, they were a loss to me. They took me backwards. They took me away from God, not to God. A loss. But more than that, he goes on. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. A relationship with God through faith in Jesus, based on what he has done, is worth way more than all that other stuff. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now if you've been around Chase Oaks for a while. You know that the word garbage. Is a nice way to say the word. Um, The word is uh, a better way to say it would be excrement. Um, But it wasn't just a word for excrement. It was was a 2,000 year old cuss word. Scubula is the word. And I should have asked you that. Because I bet some of you knew the word. Because we've talked about it before. It's like that's the one thing you're going to remember about me being a pastor here. Like when I'm when I kick off and die or whatever at my funeral, you think, yeah, what do I remember about that guy? Oh yes, yeah, scubula. You know, so you got a two thousand year old cuss word. So at least you know that. So next time you're on the golf course and you slice it out of bounds, scubula. Just make a new word. But scubula for us is just a word, right? Because uh, okay, scubula. But if you said that two thousand years ago, everybody would be stop it, stop saying that. That's a cuss word. It's a bad word. It it would have been really shocking. It's a, it, for us, it's a word that rhymes with spit. Okay, you get it, right? That refers to excrement. It'd be, it'd be like if I just said that word, every, all this stuff is that. You'd be like, I can't believe he just said that. I, I need to find another church. I, you, know, so, you know, and all that. And, but that's what he does. Scubula is the word that he uses. All of it is just scubula, which again, would have been really shocking. And why does he say it that Shocking. Well, in comparison to what's on the other side of Jesus, he says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. What he's saying is, hey, Christianity, as he's found Christ, is worth so much more because it's not about just religious devotion and doing everything right. I mean, yeah, it is about we do want to obey and we want to live into all that God wants for us. But it's about God's grace and all that he wants to give and all that he wants us to enjoy, not of trying to gain and earn 
and keep God happy. That we actually have God's pleasure. We have everything there is to get. And we can live in the enjoyment of it rather than the burden to try to earn it. Tim Keller says, says it this way. He says, if you center your life and identity on religion and morality, being good, and you will, if you are living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and cruel. If you don't live up to your moral standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. Religion will only take you a few places, and it's never to joy. It will take you to arrogance if you're doing well. You'll feel really great about yourself. Shame if you're not doing well. And some of you are like, yeah, that's me. I'm not doing well. Shame. Pressure always to try to keep, stay in God's favor, to try to stay in God's blessing. And there's pressure and it's exhausting. It's not rest, like Jesus said. It is exhausting. Exclusivism. Because you'll just start hanging around with people who are worthy of you. And judgmentalism as you look down your nose at other people who are not so good at being good. And that's why Paul says, just scubala. Instead... What Jesus offers that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. It's about what he's done, not what we do. And it's in a relationship with God is not about earning anything because he it's a gift. It's about God's grace. And we can learn to live in the enjoyment of it, which means, yeah, we will walk in obedience. But in light of all that we've been given, not to try to gain or keep or stay in God's good graces or God's or, or try to reach God's standard. Another way to say that is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus doing good. It's not Jesus plus being radically devoted. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And like Paul told the Galatians, if you had anything to the formula, Jesus plus works, Jesus plus the law, Jesus, you no longer have the gospel. He says in Galatians, it's no gospel at all. And he said, you know, and he told the Galatians, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. Not to be under bondage. To the law, but to be freed from all that and to live freely and confidently and fully and joyfully because we've already been given everything and to live in the enjoyment of it. I remember when I was uh, a young adult, I was in college. Um, I slipped into another version of legalism than the one I talked about with the haircuts and all that. It was more just about. Me wanting to be more radically devoted to God and, and I, and I was, and, and which is a good thing, right? But, but I was doing it to gain something and, 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 and to be impressive. And I did become pretty arrogant because most people were not as radically devoted as me. And I felt pretty entitled because I was doing all this. What's God going to do for me? And I was scary serious. I mean, I could tell you some stories and you'd be like, that's you. Yeah, I was, Scary, it was not good. I mean, it was, it looked good in some ways, but it was not. And, um, and one of the, one of the commitments I made in that time is that I was going to keep myself holy and keep myself usable to God. And the greatest threat to that was girls. Do you know that? 
Um, <laughs> no, as a guy, just like, okay, if I can take off sexual immorality as a thing, then I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to, I'm not, that just, I'm not going to do that. So I'm just going to cut girls out of my life, not as friends, but, you know, I'm not going to do the romantic thing and, you know, girlfriend or get married or anything like that. And, and there is some good motivation to do that. But for me, it was about fear. I, I was not, I just wasn't going to, if I'm not involved with people, then I can't be sexually immoral. Of course, that's stupid because there's other ways to be sexually immoral. But still, that's the way I was thinking. And so I'm just going to cut girls out of my life. Because for me, girls were just a temptation. Which is another way to objectify people. That's another sermon. But that's where I was at and it made sense at the time. And so I was really committed to that until I met this girl named Christy Bauman. And it started to shake my resolve a little bit because she was amazing. She was beautiful. She's my wife now, by the way. But she was beautiful. She was a Jesus follower. She's committed to him. Beautiful inside and out. And it definitely was shaking my resolve. So I went to my spiritual mentor at the time. A lady I talked about last week named Miss Helen. I've talked about her over the years. She was in her 80s and 90s when I was in high school and college. She taught me how to have a relationship with God. And every Monday night I would bring my journal and bring dinner. And she, we would, I would share what I had learned, which... She would act like it was the most profound thing ever, wasn't, but she always, oh, that's so amazing. But she, and so we, and so I, we were over, you know, it was one of those Monday evenings and I thought she'd be really impressed with my, what I said. So I was like, Miss Helen, I have this commitment. I'm going to be celibate for Christ tonight, you know, because I don't want to be sexually immoral and I don't want to fall away from God and not be usable to him. And, and so, you know, that's my commitment. And I met this girl. Uh, Christy, and she'd actually already met Christy, but, um, and, you know, it's shaking my resolve a little bit, and I, I feel like I've, and I, I know it's confusing because she doesn't know what our relationship is. It feels more like a Bible study than a relationship, probably, but she, you know, I'm sure is confused, and she was. And I just need to cut that off totally. And I thought she'd be so impressed. And there was only two times in our relationship she put her finger in my face, and this was one of them. <laughs> And she put her finger in my face and she said, Jeff, what you're saying is evil. Because what you're doing is you're calling what you're calling faith and commitment to Jesus is just fear. You're just a scared little boy. And it's for freedom, the Bible says in Galatians, that Christ set us free. And you refuse to live in freedom because you're too scared. And Jesus said, when the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And what you're doing is not godly. And you're confusing that poor girl. And what you need to do is you need to go to her and you need to apologize. And you need to find freedom in Jesus to live life confidently and not be scared of failing. Because even if you fail, there's grace. And you live your life all out. And if she's willing... You take her hand and you walk into the future together. However far God wants you to walk together. And that's what I want to see. Because that's why Jesus died. For you to be free. And for you to have joy. And for you to live life. Now I was reading Romans at the same time in my own time with God. The book of Romans in the New Testament. Which is a great book to read to understand what I'm talking about more. And... It just all came together for me. Sometimes I think in Christianity, there's two conversions. When somebody begins a relationship with God by grace, and then when they understand later that actually living the Christian life is by grace and not by works. And that's what happened for me. 
it just all came together. I was like, there's freedom in Christ. So I, I go out, I, I, I talked to Christy and I said, hey, can we go on a drive? And I, I just something I want to talk about. And so I started talking about it. And you can ask her if you know her. But I just kept saying the word freedom over and over again because it was just, just all so fresh to me. I was saying, Christy, there's freedom. There's freedom. In Christ, there's freedom. And she's like, oh, okay, you know, and I, and, you know, maybe we should drive by the hospital, you know, Jeff, I, I don't know. And I just keep saying, there's freedom, there's freedom. And, and what I meant is there's freedom to live life and for us to date and for us to move forward and, and all that. She thought I meant she want, I wanted freedom from whatever relationship we had. She really did because it was so confusing. And so I drop her off at her dorm and realize, Oh man, I, I just blew it. And so I called her and said, Hey, can I come back and, and talk? And, and we did. And I was more coherent and, uh, and she was willing to pursue a dating relationship. And we held hands for the first time and prayed and committed our relationship to the Lord. But it was the difference between religion and its demands and the fear of doing everything right or losing God's favor and realizing we can't lose God's favor. And that everything God wants to give us is by his grace. And therefore we can live fully and freely. And that's the way, that's why Jesus came. C.S. Lewis said, the Christian does not think God will love us because we are good. But that God will make us good because he loves us. And when we understand grace, it changes everything. That is the good news. That is the gospel. Religion is not good news. Religion's bad news. Jesus came to free us from the demands of religion and to give us a relationship with God based in his work on our behalf. And then in that, in, in, in that grace, we can then decide to follow. Grace teaches us to obey God. I'm not saying we don't obey God, but we obey God because of what he's done and what he's given, not to earn it. And so for those of us, for those of you in the room or those of you online who don't have a relationship with God or really don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're not a Christian or don't even know what, what that would mean. And you're kicking the tires of Christianity. This is the most important thing to understand about Christianity. It's not another religion. It's a relationship with God based on his work, based on his grace. Everything he has to give is a gift to be received. And beginning a relationship with Jesus is not about being good enough for God until the scales tip in your favor. And then he's like, okay, come and so you come as you are, because we can't be good enough for him. That's why he died on the cross, to take the penalty for our sin, so that we could be forgiven. And he wants to transform us and change us over time. He won't just keep us the same. He accepts us as we are, loves us too much to keep us that way. And he'll walk us into a whole new life, but it's purely based in God's grace. It's a gift to be received. In a little bit, we're going to pray, and I want to give you the opportunity to begin a relationship with God. But for those of us who are Christians, it is so easy from, to slip from grace to religion in the way we live the Christian life and the way we relate to God. And one of the ways you know that is joylessness. Because he wants, because when you understand great, you can't help it but live in joy. I mean, when I was driving down the road with Christy saying, Christy, there's freedom, there's freedom, just pure joy. And that's the way Jesus wants us to live. And so what we're going to do in a little bit is we're going to celebrate communion. I'm going to pray and then we're going to celebrate communion. Because communion is something that Jesus asked us to do to remember what he did on our behalf. Remember, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E, not D-O. As he died on the cross for our sins to make everything possible. And we're going to receive communion. 
But before we do that, we're going to pray. And I want us to give some things away before we receive them. And what I want us to give away is religion and all of its pressure and all of its demands and open up ourselves in a fresh way to his grace and his gift and his goodness and his work on our behalf. And so in a little bit, we're going to pray. And I, and I want you to identify something right now, if you're a Christian, to give away. Like, for example, for you, maybe that's giving away pressure or exhaustion of trying to be the perfect Christian or the perfect Christian mom or the perfect Christian dad or the perfect Christian whatever. And it's exhausting. And yet Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you what? Rest. And to say, God, would you give me your rest? Because it is exhausting trying to be good enough. And we don't have to be good enough. That's the point. Or for you, maybe it is arrogance. If you're really honest, you're pretty good at, be, you're pretty good at being good. Better than most. And it's easy for you to look down at other people and to be frustrated with other people who are not as devoted to you, not as good as you and all that. And, and that's not where you want to be. To say, God, I want to give that up. Uh, for you, maybe it's shame. You're not good at being good. Or you haven't been good at being good. And you feel like, I mean, you know what you deserve from God. And you, what you deserve from God is not good. And that's true for all of us. If God related to us based on what we deserve, we would all be in trouble. But he doesn't. That's the good news. He does not want you to wallow in shame. Satan does. And he will keep you stuck in shame. But Jesus wants you to know his love and forgiveness. And he wants to walk with you into a whole new life. Like he told one person, hey, I don't condemn you. Now stop doing this. Go and sin no more. He wants to walk us into a new life, but not because of condemnation. The Bible says there's no condemnation in Romans 8 for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, zero, because Jesus took it all on our behalf. And if what you're feeling is condemnation to say, God, would you take that from me? Maybe for you, it's complacency that you're feeling. You feel like you're okay. And you have no idea all that God wants for you. The Bible says that he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, meaning there's so much for us to, to live into. We can't even begin to understand how deep and wide and wonderful it is that God wants for us if we'll take steps with him and walk with him. And maybe you're just complacent and you're really not taking steps. And that's just a shame. Like meaning it's just a waste of all the opportunity that God wants to give you. A life of joy and meaning and purpose and significance. And for you, God, I, I don't want to be complacent. I want to... God, help me take new steps. Wherever we're coming from, let's go to God right now in prayer. And I'll start with those who maybe don't have a relationship with God or don't really know what I'm talking about. And, and, and from a Christian perspective, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came for you. It's not about us crawling our way to God. It's God coming to you and to me. And he did everything to make it possible for you to know him and all that he offers the bible says is a gift the bible says that the wages of sin what we deserve is spiritual death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus our lord it's a gift to be received and right now in your heart you can say god i say yes I, I want that i want to walk with you into that new life that's what it means to begin a relationship with jesus 
And for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, again, it's an opportunity if we've slipped into religion, whatever you identify to give up, complacency, judgmentalism, arrogance, shame, pressure, exhaustion, whatever it is, just say, God, would you just take that from me so that I can live in the fullness of joy and freedom that you came to give me? Father, we thank you that it is for freedom that you set us free and help us live in the freedom and joy that comes from the good news of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.